Hello, and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. There must be some misunderstanding. There must be some kind of mistake. I waited in the rain for hours, and you were late. Has there been? Yeah, DM Dave. Fun fact. So I'm looking up songs about misunderstandings for reasons that Thorne will go into. (laughs) And I come upon this one from Genesis, not realizing I've known this song for like 30 years and I didn't know it was this one. (laughs) And then I see the lyrics, I'm like, oh, this song. Yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) Genesis is one of those bands where it's like, oh, that's a Genesis song? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. My coworker, Mike, would probably kill me. He's a Genesis fan, but anyway. you have really shown us your mastery of all types of 80s music. <laughs> I'm running the gamut. Yeah. <laughs> Playing your the hits from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today. <laughs> Not many from yeah. today. <laughs> yeah, I'm like B101, you know? I've heard any Katy Perry, I mean. B101, yeah. Uh, so for those for our listeners who do not live around the uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey, and maybe New York area, B101 is, that's their tagline, is playing the hits from yeah. yesterday and today. That is a yeah. local radio station. Yeah, so. No, no Katy Perry, Tony, but there was right, some, right. I think, I believe Lady Gaga, and maybe, I know there's been some Kelly Clarkson. I know that. Yes. Yes. So, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> out of out of out of ninety four episodes, you have done two modern songs. Woo! <laughs> Woo! All right. So, but there is good synergy. There's good. Uh, there's there's a good segue in this song you've chosen today because what we're talking about today comes to us from a listener. Uh, now we say this every day, every time at the end of the episode, and I'll say it in the beginning here. We love taking listener questions. What we're talking about today comes from a listener question. If you have a question you'd like to hear us talk about, please send it to three wise DMS at gmail.com. Go to our website, three wise DMS.com and put it in the, what's your problem field or talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're very active in all those social, all those social channels. And what we're looking for is just things we can help you help you with things. We can help you figure out, you know, we've been through a lot of, uh, DMing mistakes and DMing problems ourselves, and we bounce them around. So if you want to hear our, our take on anything you're dealing with, we'd love to hear it. So in today, we have a message that came in through the website, through the What's Your Problem field on our website. And the message is titled Avoiding Red Herrings. How do I balance between describing a rich and immersive world and accidentally enticing my players with false leads? So the the, the gentleman writing in, or... or uh, we don't have a name, so the, the, the lady or gentleman is uh, a new DM. And what's going on is they want to give the world some nice immersive description, but as soon as they spend a little too much time talking about something, their party member, their party is off the rails trying to figure out what's the mystery that's not there behind that intense description. As the DM puts it, they're having a hard time dialing in the amount of detail to give about the party's physical surroundings. They have one player in particular who thinks that every single thing they say must be a clue or plot hook, and they tend to quote take up a lot of game time stringing twine from thumbtacks on corkboard. 
For example, after a day of wilderness travel with no random encounters, I might throw in a detail like you cross a stone bridge carved to look like two trees with intertwining branches. There are no clues to its origin or age, and the player will immediately feel the need to solve the mystery of its age and origin, despite my efforts to try to let them know that that's not important uh, to, quote, unquote, signal its banality, as the uh, as our DM writes in. Um, yeah, he now the DM understands when they accidentally say something too tempting and they do enjoy winging things that the players unexpectedly show interest in. But our sessions are already short and infrequent, and the instinct often seems to stem mostly from a feeling of the DM said it, so it must be important. <laughs> and I blame Anton Chekhov and the show lost for this. So as a DM, how do you handle that? And, and this DM talks about, you know, they, they go on. It's a little bit of a long message, but their first instinct is to flood the zone and put in enough details that they begin to understand that some of it is just for immersion. But they're worried that the actual hints will get buried unless they cover them in Elmer's glue and roll them around in glitter. A lot of great analogies here. Um, really? So how do we go about hinting to our players what is important and what is not while giving them room to influence the direction and flow of the story? In other words, how do you paint a detailed, interesting, immersive world without the players digging into every detail you didn't mean for them to dig into? The old Boblin the Goblin problem. There is, if you haven't heard of Boblin the Goblin, there is a, you know, there, there's, a, there's like a shadowy figure wearing a crown of fire sitting at the bar. Who else is in the bar? There's a goblin in the corner. We, we go talk to the, we go talk to the, what's the goblin's name? Boblin. We go talk to Boblin. <laughs> We're not talking to the guy with the flaming crown. We want to know all about Boblin, who the DM just threw in for flavor. You know, it's kind of a, a, a classic Boblin the Goblin problem going on here. So guys, what do you do about this and how do you control it? Well, if everyone's hanging on to your every word like that, you probably want to contain your descriptions, like you know, consistently. So you throw out like a three line description. And if something is perhaps a little bit more important, give a little bit more detailed in that description or a little bit larger. And, you know, if they're jumping at everything, well, that could be a great opportunity. I mean, I know you're saying the games are infrequent, but you know what? They're really sounds like they're writing their own story here. Yeah, Tone, I was going to say that that was going to be like my first point is that if they're investigating, they're invested. So while it can be uh, bothersome, troublesome, irksome, uh, slows the game down, in some ways they are telling you the game they want to play. Now, I can see where it can go way off the rails with that, but... Uh, that's my first inclination right off the bat, that if they're investigating, they're invested and don't get too invested in your own story or your own plot hooks and 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 storylines. Like if they're driving it somewhere else, kind of, you know, let them take the wheel for a hot second, maybe. But we're going to get into a little more how I totally know what he, the he or she is also talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead. How... Uh... Well, How I mean, the has first, this happened in the Noonan games? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the Taraka deck reading, where the first way track. I was presenting it and the way you guys heard it, a total mismatch in communication, what? which led to, uh, which led, not total mismatch, but there were some, some things that you guys were inferring that I ne didn't necessarily feel like I implied but I could see it looking back that, oh, yeah, I did that because I chose each of you with one of the cards. They're both, oh, that's my card. Awesome. I'm going to go find this clue for me and my character. And to, to bring back some context on that, because it's been a hot minute since we talked about ah. the Curse of Scrod game in, in this particular True. instance. 
But in the Curse of Strahd, if you haven't played it, you have the Taraka deck. It's basically go to a, you go to a um, uh, you go to a not a not a Roma camp, a Vistani camp. Yeah, Madam Ava. Madam Ava at the Vistani camp basically reads your Taraka, like like reading your tower cards. And the cards that the DM pulls determine certain parts of the story, like where you're going to find the Sun Sword, which is in the game. Who's your biggest ally going to be? Where are you going to first meet Strahd for the final fight? But they presented it as he said, "Okay, this is your card, Thorin. This is your card. Uh, this is this is your card, Phineas. This is your card, um, little one. This is your card, Hulk." So every one of us grabbed onto our cards, like like mentally grabbed onto it, and thought there was an importance to. Oh, I've got some great destiny there. And no, yeah. that wasn't it at all. It was all <laughs> it was all supposed to apply to just it's how the it's how the adventure plays out. And it's the it's the exact same thing that our that our listener is talking about here, adding in that bit of detail that yeah it makes it feel really cool, but now your players have grabbed onto those details and they've taken on a life of their own. And I think that actually worked out really well retrospectively because it kind of like came off like each of these players were expecting to get something neat, and then it's like no 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 only some of you are getting something neat. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> The rest of you are getting vampires. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like we've gone over that, you know, but it was like I was attempting to 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 do something with it. And you guys latched on, which I totally would have done myself as a player and looking back. But that's the kind of thing when he again, he or she. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, we don't know. My, that's fine. Just the, the DM. My male, my male bias. Uh, the DM, though, is. When they talk about the stone bridge and its untold ages, I mean, you're you're literally asking your players to try to, you know, think what what's going on with this bridge or what's about to pop out from under it. Is it going to like is it a mimic? Right. Like something is happening because you described this, you know, you get you gave some real good box text for this bridge, <laughs> you know. And that is, you know, that's the challenge, which is, you know, you can you have. You want to have an immersive world, but you need to be careful where you spend your time describing it. But I would say this also plays into, though, your time management for the game in general. Because think about this, right? You've only got so much time to play. So you're going to spend that time on description. Yes, you want enough description that the world feels immersive and cool and somewhere they want to be. You want you want like all the flowers and Skyrim and the mountains in the background and all that stuff. But at the same time, if you're spending too much time, game time, describing something that isn't important, your players are likely to pick up on that because you've invested time in it. So they're going to invest time in it. You know, that's kind of how that works. It's not just the red herring factor is important, but it's not just about it being a red herring. It's that you've you haven't just signaled with what you said. You've signaled with the time you've spent on that description because everyone's expecting the time they spend here to move the game forward. So you do have to be a little bit careful with that. You know, if it doesn't matter, you got to give it a less of a description than things that do matter. Otherwise you are going to be wasting player time a little bit in your own time as they kind of chase these red herrings. At the same time, one thing I would say is if they're paying attention to the bridge and you want to get them to the encounter, bring the encounter to the bridge. You know, it, it's it's this is this is my you know this is this is my advice on everything. If the players are on the wrong path, attack them. 
<laughs> give them bring the encounter to them bring the adventure to them get them back on track that way oh he's looking at he, he's looking at the at the at the joints in the bridge and the mortar used to try to figure out the age and they get attacked by the bad guy or whoever they were supposed to meet on or after the bridge shows up and gets their attention and that's one way you can signal to them that that's not really an important thing to be paying attention to although it doesn't always work i mean baby walter who was also in a cursor stride game Woo! critical component of this campaign baby walter <laughs> the perfect that is probably the more perfect example that right? is Rather than the yeah, that's, yeah that's the more perfect example well, why don't you go ahead and read yeah, that? Yeah, I literally didn't even, situation. I didn't even really describe it, you know? I didn't even fully describe Like, I just kind of said how, you know, you saw the spirit going towards the stars with the other two children, Rose and Thorn and all this. And then they were like, we got we got to save baby Walter. And I'm like, wait, huh? What? What do you, what? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You Yeah, I mean, that's like the adventure, guys. I mean, welcome to Curse of Strahd. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Baby Walter Baby Walter was not the adventurer in Curse of Strahd. So, and we got to recap, because I mean, not all of our listeners on this episode are going to remember the stuff where we talked about this, but there are several episodes we've talked about it on. And Baby Walter, at the end, the introductory adventure for Curse of Strahd is the, one of the ones you can use is the Durst Mansion, or the Durst Manor, which is the murder house. It, 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 uh, and inside the murder house, there is this weird, like, corpse golem animated by the family's dead baby with the dead baby inside of it which by the way is dark yo like that is dark wildly (laughs) i and also that those were some alterations that i had made to the death house intro module so (laughs) oh were they so that's not in the those were those Those were specifically yeah they're specifically from uh lunch break heroes uh, who I've said many times about uh, Strahd stuff. They do great, uh, great additions. But yeah, that whole animating with the the soul of Walter Durst was pretty, uh, yeah, pretty fucking dark. Dark like my <laughs> coffee, man. Yeah. Yeah, like it's like a it's like a Sumatra roast. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> and so I mean, something that dark does catch the player's attention. You know, that is that's got to be important. There's a baby soul inside that thing. We're not just gonna let that go to hell. And yeah, so for the rest of the campaign, two of our players in particular really grabbed on to Baby Walter and were constantly looking for Baby Walter because that was to them the real goal they had was to go save Baby Walter. And uh, yeah, we're, uh, I don't know, like 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 a year or two into this campaign and we still have not gone back to save Baby Walter. No, That's but it's a great table. example. Yeah, but it's a great example, too, of that you know, if they're investigating, they're invested so they drove that. So I said, okay. So I leaned into it and started to uh, sprinkle in hints and clues and secrets about where Walter Durst might be and baby Walter and how you might save him. And it's led, I mean, you guys are going to be level 14 soon and, you know, you're starting to uncover some of what happened with his soul, you know? So that's given me a lot of, as Tony just said earlier, you know, you're giving me story here to go with, you know, they're writing their own. So are we going to come back to baby Walter at some point? Is this a case of what happened, what the players took uh, took and ran with is something that's going to feature in the pot in the uh, campaign later? I wouldn't bet against this. Well, I mean, I feel like it, it kind of, I mean, I, I kind of dropped it a little bit. I'm, I'm going to have to, as Thorne, you said before, if you want people to get something, you got to repeat it, you know, but the, some of the information has already come out through your patron, the gentleman about kind of what happened with Walter yeah. Durst and the whole souls of Barovia 
and that the the ties to the morning lord and saint markovia that i kind of this this crazy so i literally had the red twine and corkboard myself <laughs> trying to figure out what happened to this goddamn soul you know but yeah i mean it's you know it's under the auspice of asmodeus so you know you guys might venture to the nine hells i don't know you got a lot some, on your plate right now. So what about you, Tony? Any uh, stories where your players wound up taking a clue or taking a detail and turning it into a plot point or trying to? I remember being in a game within the last couple of years where I want to say it was a door. Like I've seen it was two examples where I saw a door got over described and a chest got over described. And in both cases, the players were just assaulting the door and the chest looking for the secret. <laughs> like they were ready to take the door off the hinges, bring it back to the bat cave and analyze it like there's a secret compartment in the door. OK, we destroyed the chest. There's no secret compartments. It's just like under the chest. We just the, with the fragments of the chest. And I'm like, mm, I think we're beat, guys. And they're just it just kept going and going and <laughs> You overdescribe some stuff that people are like, well, this DM spent, you know, two paragraphs on something that seems mundane. That triggers it 100%. And especially if I'm in a game where we have limited time, but, you know, you know me, I want to move the football and someone spends two paragraphs on something. I'm like, all right, there it is. That's got to be your peril. Right? You gave it to me. All right. I know where to head. So with that tone, with the door thing, did you lean into it and turn it into something or did you like – almost time out and be like, okay, guys, there's nothing with the fucking door. Can we move on now? <laughs> you know, like, did you go out of game for a second? I, I, you know? I don't feel like I, I tend to let pa uh, characters uh, go off on a tangent if they want to, if it's funny and they're having fun, then, you know, they're dissecting the chest and they're like, okay, so what kind of wood was it? Oak, what kind of metal? Oh, it's banded iron. Okay. What, human craftsmanship, dwarven, uh, gnomish, you know, and they're keep drilling in here. Forget Boblin the Goblin. I'm describing the the physical composition of a chest down to its most minute details. How old was it? Well, I'd say it was going into dwarven metallurgy. Is there zinc in the alloys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how know, hot was the smelting ore when it was poured? It's you think I could trace the ore the, the, from the mine where the metal was made that was made in this chest? I'm like, hmm. Maybe down to get out of the mines. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes could. <laughs> you ever get the feeling sometimes players are just like, look, if I just keep after this thing, something cool will pop out of it? Absolutely. Yes. yes. It's almost like they're trying to will a goodie out, or, or a goodie out of something, right? It's like, if I just keep looking, the DM's got to put something in here. You know, um, I feel like once... You know, how many times in your career did you find a chest in a dungeon or a castle or whatever in their secret compartment? Well, God damn it, you're going to be looking for a secret compartment for the next 4,500 chests. That's the problem, yeah. If you give in and you put something in there just because they look so hard, it's like, well, now they know. I just got to look hard enough and something will be here. You know, mm. I mean, really, I've seen like, you know, scene one, players are in a room. What do they do? You look around, you see who's around. No, I am ripping this room to shreds, pulling the drawers out, secret compartments in the drawers, looking in the books, any dog-eared pages in the books. Like, seriously, it's like, uh... I, I didn't write 16 pages of, like, you know, sub-things for the first room. No, you're in this room. There you go, there's exits. Go on with the mod, please. So... 
when you get in that situation, or, or, or I guess the, the biggest question is, how do you avoid getting in that situation? Do you take any special steps or is there any thought process you go through to make sure you're not sending red herrings? You have to keep, like I said, I would keep those descriptions consistent. And if you want to put something in there that deserves their attention, perhaps a slightly larger description that's not obvious or a slightly more detailed one to draw their eyes to something specific. So you want an immersive world. Okay, so you get to say there's a rope bridge. So give it a decent description. But like, you know, there there's no great secret to the rope bridge. <laughs> Unless you're really going somewhere with that, in which case my players would probably have walked by it. Yeah. Well, you guys said it earlier too, and I think that's a, it's a good point to go back to because I'm thinking about this this DM's uh, table and what, wh- how does it run and what does it really look like? Like if we were sitting down at the table and it's kind of tough to kind of put yourself in that shoe just from the one, the one side, but I don't, I, uh, Tony or Thorne, one of you guys kind of said something similar, but they learned it from somewhere. So they're, they're tackling onto they're they're grappling onto these things, these descriptions, these, immersive details, things of that nature, because they learn somehow that that's something. So whether it was from your game, whether it was a previous game, whether it's the MMOs that they play, whether it's the type of game they want to play. I mean, who knows? I'm thinking back right now to that one listener's question who came in with uh they have their Sherlock Holmes character that has like a passive perception of like, you know, 30. Yeah. Or some one, shit, right? One who wanted, who wanted their passive perception and investigation just reveal the whole room to them as soon as they walked yeah. in. Which was, as a real quick aside, which is funny because we did that all-star game and uh, your friend Luke's character came in, the rogue, and had a passive perception of 24 just because of the way expertise works and reliable talent and blah, 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 you know. So uh, it was interesting to see how Tony was was having to deal with that, you know, when I want to look for something. <laughs> um but is it that type of – because, like, that type of character, uh, that type of player who comes into this campaign is probably going to want that kind of stuff. They want to they wanna do the Sherlock Holmes and find out about the metallurgy and can I trace it back to the dungeon because that's where – you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I learned it from somewhere, and I'm wondering, you know, like, maybe look into that, into where did that come from. I think that's a really good point because, you know, as we've always said – you teach your players how to play your game and how yes, your game yeah. world works. So you know what? Here's how this works. If you got X amount of treasure in your dungeon and you just want to like, you know, go through it, hit the big points, run it loose and fast, fight the monsters, avoid the traps, solve the puzzle and leave. And here's your reward. Then you're fine. Then that's one scenario. But if you're running, you've taught them that there is something in that book and one of the books in that bookcase somewhere that you missed. Or here's a great one for you. I love this. You run through a module and DM's like, you missed all kinds of things. Well, it's on. (laughs) They're searching for every every room, every foot in every room for the secret something now. They're searching for it like it's Final Fantasy VII Knights of the Round material. Like it's just lying somewhere on the ground and they can't see it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I need my tools for uh, investigation like the axe as I hack everything apart (laughs) to see if it's hollow or there's something behind it. And then that goes both ways, too, because, Tony, I'm thinking about uh, the one scene in Storm King's Thunder where – 
that was kind of where you had come as a DM, right? You came from people who maybe had said like, oh my God, you missed so much stuff. So I'm going to start. So you would, you would place things in there to try to entice players. Like I'm thinking when we were running through the one library, uh, when uh, Zhang and I and Roderick got caught by the Roper because the, the party had split, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Bonnie's character, Mina, had gotten teleported to another goddamn plane. You know, the whole party is in. So we're racing now through this this uh, Feywild cavern to try to get back to the party. And you happen to be like, oh, you're running by and you happen to see this one book that's literally, it's like titled, Hey Roderick, Here's Your Fucking Story, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, cool. I keep running. You know, like, I'll come back. for. And you're like, Wait, what? Was, you know, because <laughs> you get so used to having to provide that level of um, of immersion, of story, of plot, you know? Yeah, that really, if you have a really, if your party eats up lore, then those are the people who are looking for those things. And I guess that, back to what we said earlier about what does that table look like? So if these people are really interested in all the finer details, if they're true completionists, that's not really super hard to believe that they could there really are kind of I wouldn't say reaching, but they don't want to miss anything. They really truly don't. That's important to them. Yeah. So I guess for me, you know, when I think about when I'm putting my descriptions together, and I'm improving. So it's a little bit different because when you're improving, you're just kind of going, Well, here's what it looks like, and da 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 da. But mm. I do try to if something is important, I try to make sure the players understand this is part of the story. When it's just dialogue, I almost feel like I have a different voice for, not dialogue, but I almost feel like I have a different voice for description. Like my descriptions are, okay, here's what you see. But when we get down to the important stuff, it's like you're going to start getting details right away. And I know that's like, that's one aspect. That's one thing I use to control that misunderstanding. Because we have had times where players in my games have taken something in the wrong direction. And I'm, I am the kind of DM who will stop you. And go, no, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's not in the, you know, this guy's not necessarily a bad guy. That's not how I was trying. Well, he, he might be, but your character is not picking up that vibe. This is a bad guy because of so-and-so, you know, or things like that. Trying to make sure that the players see the world the way I do, even though I'm describing it. The biggest thing you can understand to kind of really help get this on track is that, like I said, the time factor to things. You know, if you're spending time on it, you're sending the message that it's important. If you're not spending a lot of time on it, you're sending the message that's not that important, unless your players are really suspicious or you've occasionally kind of screwed them over with that before. Ah, but you forgot to look on top of the bookshelf. Yeah, <laughs> that kind yeah. of Yeah. You yeah. fool! Yeah, if that if that does come up though, like if it if it comes up that you found out that they kind of learned that way, either from previous games that you ran, or that's maybe someone else's ran, or that's just the way they kind of think the game goes, um, try not to do that. Uh, try not to do the gotcha moment. You know, it's okay if they miss something, but don't have them. It's like that's a single point failure. Almost in my mind, you know, that's almost like hinging an entire thing on one die roll. And that's as we've talked about, that's not a really a great idea because that's really through no fault of their own. You know, if they completely miss it because they just walk by the room and don't even bother going in this ornate room you describe. Well, then that that definitely is on them. But, you know, because they didn't look under the third floorboard. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, also, again, frequency of play, too. And on the flip side of that, if you want to have players move around room to room and tear them apart and you're playing constantly, then that, yeah, then maybe you can miss something. And that's not as obnoxious as, you know, you show up, you're playing monthly. And it's like, everybody remember what the F we were doing? Mm, sort of. Now, like, for example, something that I could tell is very important in Dave's style of gaming is his recap. He makes sure he's like, here it is, guys, just in case like you were hit over the head. Boom, let me hit you over the head. This is what you did last game, and here's some of the last game before that. So we're all on the same page. Go. Dude, because you need – I watch – like, the, how many TV shows do we watch, right? We watch a lot of TV shows, right? You go one season. You're super invested in this show, right? I need a recap next season, man. What the hell happened? Like, what is going <laughs> – sometimes it's episode to episode. Like, I've been saying I've been watching The Last Kingdom, right? And I watch it pretty frequently, and they do a recap in the beginning of each episode. I just watch it, man, because, like, oh, yeah, okay, I just make sure I remember everything. All right, let's go. So, yeah, in a game that's all in my head, like, yeah, I'm going to need a little something. So once the players are off the track and they're following a red herring down a rabbit hole that's going to eat up your night, what do you do to try to fix that? Well, I mean, you know, you have two options here, basically. Are you going to let them go off on this? And this, like, you know, come on. How many times have you seen something really ridiculously funny unfold and it had nothing to do with your prepared material and you just let it completely spill out of control for, for the duration of it? That's okay. You can't. It's like you know, that's like that's like when you tell a joke and everyone's laughing and you start talking before everyone finishes laughing. <laughs> let the laughter be right? Gotta leave, right? put in the notes leave room for laughter let really stand. no because if they're laughing and they're having a great time don't interrupt that that's like an a moment and you didn't have to cause that so yeah, yeah or just you go with it you go with it too right you lean into it now if it's really like you have some players you know screwing around and it's going positively nowhere where they're going through every book they're like oh i don't know uh ripping apart uh you know the sofa looking for loose change and you have a couple of players who are like good freaking god like please dm do something before i like frag one of the other players then yeah it's it's time <laughs> to be like okay fine you find 14 copper cool all right now what are we doing Tony has done that during shopping trips in our game. <laughs> All I said was, you guys just need to send him an email as to what you need. I never want to hear about it. Like, I was very subtle about that. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, you have different players because that was that was a situation where you have players who wanted to, wanted to do that. Now, in terms of like, I mean, do you do anything special to try to get that back on track, though? Like, do you I get that. OK, so if they're laughing and they're having a good time, you don't want to interrupt them. But, I mean, at the same time, you're not moving the football forward, right? You're not going to get to – because you specifically, Tony, you've talked about how you have, like, story beats you want to hit by the end of the night, and you're actively moving stuff off the tables. You realize we're not going to get to that, not going to get to that. So we, wh what do you do? At what point do you at what point do you call it and try to get them moving again, and, and how do you do that? you got to make a decision. So, for example, the last game that I just ran for everybody uh, on Saturday night, um, I had an encounter planned. You know, and basically I had an optional encounter locked in the queue and I'm like, OK, so if this, they're blowing through this stuff like bing, 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 then guess what? You get this encounter. And that way they're like, hey, it's nine o'clock. Thanks. That was great. All right. You know, who wants to like, go get ice cream? 
So because I have an idea about where I want the game to end, but because it took longer, I'm like, we were absolutely not doing this encounter. And there was also an encounter that you guys did where you could have fought. And I kind of steered you away from fighting because I'm like, there is fighting later in this game. And if you fight here, we're going to be here to three o'clock in the morning. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. So do you do you do anything to get them moving, though? Uh, you kind of re- just redirect them, you know, like, hey, perhaps this NPC isn't interested in talking. He's not going to be cooperative or she doesn't want to fight. You had plenty of opportunities where you, it could have, these encounters could have gone either way. We're like, ah, F you. I hit you overhead with a chair. Then you're fighting. But, you know, even if sometimes now, believe it or not, sometimes even the peas can throw the first punch and the NPC <laughs> can be like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I got something to tell you. And then if they really press it, then it's on. But you know, if they're really that, they're channeling that inner murder hobo. But you, do. yeah, I think I think that that is, yeah, that's definitely a little different in terms of uh, the game we just did because that was specifically going to be a one shot. It was a one night adventure. We brought out some old characters uh, to play some high level stuff, you know, and brought them all together in a new team. Uh, so you have to, as we've talked about with one shot stuff, you have to finish it that night. You can't be like, cool, and we're you're about to face the bad guy, and you know, whenever we can maybe get the, one of these going again, that'll be great, you know. <laughs> so you have to finish it in one night. But most people are not. It's not one shot stuff. And the DM that wrote in, obviously, it's a long running campaign. So people throw around, you know, terms like open world and sandbox and oh, and they, you know, they kind of look at it and romanticize it. This is what it is. You can have the general stories that are happening in the world, the things that are the machinations that are happening in the world. That, and that's kind of your general story that you're putting together as the DM. But you can't write it. You know, it goes from here to here to here to here. If they go turn left or they go down this rabbit hole or they want to climb that mountain that turns into something that's the adventure then and i'm thinking about the slavers bay campaign at one point because i wanted to introduce the idea because as i said i kind of built the first arc of it around the uh against the cult of the reptile god uh classic mod where you go into you know in there it's the village of orlane and you fight the naga and all that you know for me it was the village of thrace um, but, uh, there's troglodytes in, in the adventure. So I wanted to tease that idea of troglodytes. You guys came upon a, in essence, a road crew and they just happened to say something about, oh yeah, some people were missing and you guys went, all right, we're going to go search them out. We're going to find them for you. We're going to do this. Let's go guys. All right, we're doing it, you know, for the domina. And you guys go out, and thankfully we ended the uh, session right as you were like, I was like, uh, yeah, you, you've reached this area, and it turned into the Warren of the Troglodytes, you know, <laughs> which was the whole next session. So you guys went in, and it was like a little bit of a half dungeon delve, you know, as you kind of went in and cleared out the Troglodyte Warren. And I tried to give some additional info that would lead you then further than as you get into Thrace. That's where you guys went with it. Okay. Yeah, what I'm going to say, well, no, there's uh, nothing out there. Yeah, these townspeople are just missing. Continue on the road. Nope, you have to be, you know, that's that's the railroad. And that's what people, that's when it's the bad railroad. You're just like, no matter what you say or do, this is the story that's happening. That's where you can run into some of that. 
Yeah, when your choices don't matter, unfortunately, that is definitely a, uh, it really is kind of the mood kill. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I remember that struggle light layer, but at the same yeah. time, this is a good example of how you threw in a red herring, right? Because the party of mostly more or less good adventurers here is there's missing villagers. They're being taken over the, uh, the thing taking them, taking them over there. It's right over there. It's within a day's travel. <laughs> You're like, well, of course we got to save the villagers, right? I mean, if you like, that's that's something you shouldn't throw in, unless you want the party to follow that clue, because the party's there to rescue people in many cases. I mean, that's not an uncommon first adventure. So that was a situation where you had signaled to us, oh yeah, yeah, this is you know, you were signaling unconsciously that boom, there's villagers you can go rescue. Yeah. And we wanted to, and you're like, I didn't mean for you to do that. Yeah, so, you know, it turned into the next session, and that was great, you know? Um, but, yeah, you just, you go with it. If they if they decide to take this route, this avenue, there's a level of having to lean into it. Or you're just going to tell them that it doesn't matter how you want to play the game, this is how it's going to nah. be. And there, you have to have some level of a compromise, even if it's not a spoken one, you know? Yeah. I saw a great meme today where it was like there was two dogs there and the one dog was like looking away and the other dog was like sitting up so loyally like that dog was his buddy. And the meme was, you know, like the caption was the, the dog who was disinterested was an NPC who said something nice to the PC and the PC's like, I will fight and die for you. And oh, like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> sometimes that happens. It's like, hey, I bought you a beer. And next thing you know, you're going on a quest of this person. Oh, this person's kidnapped. Let me let me save this person. Let me save their family. And you know, that's you know. that's uncommon on beer, but it is my experience with tequila. I think as a DM, like there is, we've talked about just last week, we've talked about it before. There is a supervisory managerial skit role to the dungeon master, right? You're the one who has to make clear what they can, what you what they can do, what they can't do. I'm an improv DM, so I can follow anything I want to follow. But at the same, like I can, I can make up. Okay, well, I was making up the rest of it anyway, so it's not a big deal if you take this this hook versus that hook. I can usually roll with it. The problem is, you know, you do wind up wasting your game time sometimes on this thing. And you know, you you if you want to move the football forward, like Tony, you know, wants to, and has talked about many times, you've got to find a way to to manage this and make sure that players understand. Okay, you know, make sure you're spending your time on the things that are important to the story that you want to tell. And not to the things that you're throwing away that you didn't really want to get back to. Don't spend your time on Boblin the Goblin unless he's an important NPC. And then it becomes the party mascot. Or he becomes an important NPC because the play, like, like I was saying earlier, like you can't get too invested in your own story or in the way you see this, this playing out in that way. Cause you can, you always have the ability to bring things like Thorne, you were saying to bring the adventure to them. But if they're really having a great time, running this way you have to allow a level of that because they're players and you're a player so you have to be able to play somewhat of the 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 story in the world that you want but they have to also be able to play in that world the way they want too so there 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 has to be a little give and take there in that way you can't just let it be be completely about uh where you need to like when tony says moving the football forward that's important but at the same point if it's at the sake of them enjoying the way that they interact with the game, mm, well, we moved it, but nobody wants to play football anymore. Yeah. So like, now I just got a football on a field 10 yards further, you know? I, I remember cutting a scene at some point, and 
because like it was going on and you know it like they had accomplished what they need to and i had kind of cut it moved on and that went over bad with certain players you know needless to say so they're like that was my moment and you you know you know i it fell apart there didn't need to i was right in the middle of it and it's like you were right in the middle of what like you did it It, it's like you know you got the thing you were like we're trying to like get out the door and but they were loving that so you know handle that those kind of things with kid gloves yeah, I think you've talked about that one before, actually. The uh, the the player who's like, "Hey, you stomped on my scene," and they really wanted to take that further, and you were like, "This isn't that important. We got to move on." You know, and, and you know the the the, the uh, very uh, real question is, well, what is the important scene? And you ask the different players, yeah. you're gonna get the different answers. For example, do you, does everybody in the Curse of Strahd campaign give a rat's snot about Baby Walter? If we polled, my answer is no, they do not. Like if you looked at like Hawk's goals, like what's important to him, it's like defending Barovia, chasing the Blood Star down, all these different things versus. You know, this one obscure plot thread, but <laughs> but I'm not going to talk. It's little wildly, about, it's wildly obtuse. Yeah, <laughs> I got to tell that to her because I will never hear the end of it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, that, I mean, that's the one advantage too of being like kind of being more improv. If I want to follow that path down where the, the player kind of took it, I can't. You know what I mean? Like, ideally, it's like I'm coming in with an open enough mind that the player wants to go a totally different direction. Well, OK, we can do that. That can be today's adventure. That's not going to trip me up too bad because I didn't prep that much to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it once. I'll say it again. You know, improv DMing is the only logical answer to player to player free will. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they will choose to go away from the mousetrap you built them. There is something to be said there, but yeah, again, I, I, I was somewhat of a compromise between the two things. Players are cats, you know. You buy them the big cat treehouse with the mechanized teaser, and they go sit in this box instead. <laughs> that is that is players. That is player characters in a nutshell. It is just like cats. Oh, that's neat box. <laughs> the box is the point, guys. No, I'm playing in the box all day. That's it. The box is then is their favorite Christmas present. Kind of. Well, yeah. You know, it's difficult. It's kind of like, what if you're buying lunch for everybody? But it has to be something. And that's where it gets difficult. You get the thing that they most like. It's like, hey, pizza. And I was like, hey, we all kind of like pizza. But is that everybody's first choice? Probably not. And then that's why these weird scenes become so uh, personal to their characters. Yeah. All right, guys, we've been talking about this for a little bit. You want to get to some final thoughts? Sure. Um, If you're going to avoid the red herring, do not overemphasize your description of a scene. And I love a good description. But sometimes, like I said before, you just want to walk in the freaking castle. You don't want to hear about <laughs> the grandeur. I don't want to hear about the four generations of stonemasons that came before us, that laid the bricks and the mortar, that made this such a magnificent thing. Now, in fact, my character's already inside and going up the stairs while the, the tour's outside discussing it. That can really just cause people to go into different directions and you teach your players what's important and how your game works. So if you've hid something behind a drawer in the third floor of the castle, that's really cool. Expect your players to rip apart everything and bang into 45 dead ends before they find that 46 thing, which was that cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. If they are, um, I'll say what I said in the beginning. If they're investigating, they're invested. And anytime players are invested, that's gold. 
that you can definitely use. I mean, that's good capital that you can work with. Um, so I wouldn't just completely try to push it away that I am understanding where the DM is coming from. And I would say, and this is somebody, this is going to sound weird coming from me probably, especially because I love my box text and I love all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm a big Matt Mercer fan, all this kind of, but I think sometimes we oversell how much our players really care about some of the descriptions and some of the, the, like the, we're building this world in their imagination. And like, I found generally you need some of that and that's important, right? Because it sets tone and it gives a sense, but in the end, the players are really getting immersed because their, their characters are banging into the world like billiard balls and things are happening. Right. So I think it's more that. So if you can get your stuff about that, that, that interaction of them to the world, um, I think you're much, much better off. It's funny, uh, Chris and I were talking uh, at Easter um, about novels and reading and whatever. And he was saying, like, it's funny because, like, you go into these descriptions of the protagonist or the antagonist or whoever, right? And, okay, but how many times do we then – but, no, I see them this way. Like, I, just cast, and, I just cast a Hollywood actor in it. Just, right? And it's completely separate. It almost has nothing to do with – how the person really looked in the book or to the author. And like, it doesn't matter. Right. So anyway, that's just one of my things. Um, You know, I think sometimes we oversell how much our descriptions are immersing them in the world. Um, And the final thing is don't get too invested in your own story. If they want to investigate that bridge, man, let them, maybe there's a secret or a clue. Like one of Mike Shea's things, secrets and clues that's there that leads them to the next part of the adventure that you would like them to be on because you prepared some shit for them, right? It's a different way of having the Thorin thing where bring the adventure to them, you know? Put Plop a thing right in there that puts them to all right back on the path to the adventure. So long as it makes sense. Yeah. You know, if, if your villain didn't have anything to do with this bridge, if the thing they're going to do had nothing to do with this bridge, don't, like, put, like, a secret message in the bridge. Have a rider go over it or something. <laughs> ha, ha, ha! You found my bridge. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's autographed by the... It's got the big bad's initials on it. <laughs> in the cement. He wrote it in, 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 while it was still setting. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's, you know... This, this, as a DM, I look at it a few ways. And the first one is, okay, so I spent my time where I shouldn't have if I didn't want to go down this angle of story. Because the players are reacting to what I put out there. If this isn't what I wanted to do, I probably shouldn't have spent time on that thing. At the same time, if the players really wanted, want to investigate that thing, I have no problem letting them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just improbbing anyway, so I can, I can, yeah, that's, that's no different from what else they were going to do. I never really know what the players are going to do. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's okay when this happens, but I'm going to t- try to lean into it. Now, if it gets really kind of like, you know, it, it gets really out there, it gets takes up a lot of time, I would interrupt it is the thing. You know, and just think of it that way. Like if your players are taking – if the players are off on an, on a tangent that isn't moving the story forward, you don't know what to do with it, it's not what you want to do – don't be afraid to interrupt it with the story you wanted to have, whether that's the the big bad attacks them or even what Dave's talking about, where they find a clue that leads them back to the right path. You're you're the players in a rabbit hole and you're getting their attention back. 
that's what you're trying to do. You know, so so don't be afraid to do that if they're too far down that road. Oh, I still want to know about the bridge. Well, that's fine, but we're rolling initiative. And, you you know, what, what did you learn about the bridge? Trolls live under the bridge. Here they come. <laughs> I investigate the bridge. Excellent. Investigate initiative. <laughs> <laughs> you find trouble. You have successfully found trouble. Congratulations. <laughs> So that's kind of that's that's a little bit how I would approach it because you know, it I love the idea of letting the players do whatever they want. There are practical limits to it. At the same time, I want to get too frustrated when it's happening. And I mean, how do you find that right level of detail, which is very specifically what our listener had asked? It has to do with time. You know, if you're spending as much time on a minute detail as you would on the describing an important detail like the bad guy's hideout or something, you're that's the red herring. You know, you want rich detail, but one. And I actually have this, 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 uh, this. There's this rule I tend to follow when I'm describing things. One detail. I don't want. You know, I'm going to describe it in general terms, but I want one standout thing, not a lot of standout things. And that lets you kind of throw it out there and move forward. And that standout thing should help convey how you think of this. Like, if the color is, you know, if it's like a nature thing, well, it's colored like green and like 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 a living tree or something like that. But it's pretty obvious that that detail is in there to indicate what type of thing you're dealing with, not as the opening to a mystery. Mm. So that's one trick I use, you know, especially on, you know, on 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 setting details. Just one thing. You're emphasizing color or mood or motif or something. But do that across the whole thing. And it's consistently and the players will start to understand, OK, that's just the background text. And they'll stop following those clues and they'll look for the things that are singular and follow those clues. So if you can try to keep that in mind a little bit, I think that'll 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 help you as well. Awesome. All right. All right, guys. It was great talking to you talking with you about this. Indeed. Good stuff. That's it. It was great answering the listener's question. I am sorry we don't have a name on that, but we really do appreciate you sending it in. So thank you very much for listening. They said they really enjoy our podcast and how accessible it is for new DMs. That's uh that's that's really exactly what we're going for. So so we're really glad we're, we're that you're enjoying it and that we're able to help you in that way. And hopefully uh, this 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 somewhat rambling session got you the answers you need to try to to try to stop sending out those red herrings in your descriptions. Yeah, we we definitely describe some shit way too much, I think, in our answers. Hey, <laughs> yeah. it's a whole show, you know. And thank you all for listening from home. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five star rating on your podcast platform of choice. Share it, put it on social media. All those things help us grow and really, really appreciate when you do that. If you have something you want to hear us discuss, like I talked about in the beginning, go ahead and send it over. We love taking listener questions. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs.